Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we continue our study of Romans, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us of your living word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We have already studied verses 1 through 8. And let me make a brief comment since we were celebrating our anniversary last week and always like to kind of do a quick review to kind of get us back in sync with our study. If you remember, I made a comment a couple of Sundays ago, Romans 1 through 11 is the gospel. So Paul has given a complete view of the gospel in those first 11 chapters. He mentions the depravity of man, the inability of man to save himself, the desperate need for Jesus Christ. And then he starts in chapter 12 with practical Christian living. And that's the theme for the rest of this book. And as we're working through chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Stott, in his commentary, titles verses 1 through 8, Our Relationship to Ourselves, Thinking Soberly About Gifts. And if you recall, 1 through 8, Paul mentions that each and every one of us that are believers have been given a gift or gifts to exercise in his kingdom. It's just not a preacher gift or a Sunday school teacher gift or a musician gift. Each and every single one of us have been given a gift to exercise within the kingdom of God. And in fact, as I mentioned earlier, we will be judged in how we have exercised our gifts. Not going to be judged for your sin, but there will be rewards in heaven because God is a just God and there will be a dispensing of rewards based upon how faithful you have lived your life in the service of his kingdom. And so 1 through 8 deals with gifts. As we approach our next verse, verse 9, in the following verses, this section is an exhortation in how we should interact within the household of faith with one another. And so if you have your Bibles open, Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13, I'm going to read, but we're just going to do a portion of verse 9 this morning, but I want to read that section of verses. Paul wrote this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. 
Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Now, as you look at verse 9, this is one of those verses that we could just skim over and spend a little bit of time with, but I don't think that we would be doing it justice. And so we're going to dig a little deeper this morning. In verse 9, we are just going to cover, let love be without hypocrisy. I think it's worth noting that Paul, as he starts his exhortation in how we should deal with one another in the household of faith, starts off with love. This isn't by accident. In fact, if you look at verses 1 through 8 in how we are to live and use our gifts in His kingdom, love is a bridge, if you will, to the following things that Paul tells us to do. It starts with love. And the word that Paul uses for love in verse 9 is agape love. He's not using love as the world defines, as a reciprocal love. Because if you think about love in the world's definition, is based upon reciprocity. In fact, that great philosopher, Barney the Dinosaur, That's what his song's about, right? I love you, you love me. That is a love based upon reciprocity. But that's not agape love. Agape love is godly love. And I think it's worth noting, as Paul writes the church of Rome in verse 9, and tells us to let love be without hypocrisy, I think it's worth noting that Paul had already penned both the letters to the church at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul outlines in the church to Corinth what love, agape love, is about and what it means to us as believers as we work in the kingdom of God. So, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. I think we would all agree, if you're familiar with this chapter, that it's one of the most beautiful chapters written in all the Bible. As Paul writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love 
suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. In other words, Paul is exhorting us to love because if we don't base our actions in love, they're worthless. They're worthless. When you exercise your gifts that God has given you in the service of His kingdom, they always have to be based in love. Because if not, they will come to nothing. This shouldn't surprise us. Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 5 said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And let me remind you, as Christ spoke these words, God and love are synonymous. In 1 John chapter 4, Verse 7, it reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know God, for God is love. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Gifts exercised with the basis of the love of God, bears fruit. If it's not Christ-centered, if it's not Christ-centric, it will lead to nothing. It reminds me of the psalmist. In Psalm 127, it reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city... The watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. We have to ask ourselves, what is my motivation? What is your motivation in the kingdom of God? It has to be based upon the love of God. 
But not only does it have to be based on the love of God, it also has to be absent of hypocrisy. Look back at our focal passage again. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, to truly appreciate what Paul is saying, I think that we need to look at the origins of that word hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy came from the Greek word which meant an actor or a stage player. And when you think about Greek theater, Greek theater was based upon actors wearing a mask that would depict the character that they were playing. In other words, they were playing a part. As we would say in our modern vernacular, they were in character. So what Paul is telling us is, is he's telling us that you can't operate within the kingdom of God. You can't interact with brothers and sisters in Christ if you are playing the part. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't play. Don't pretend. It always amazes me when you talk about the church in the public space, in society. You can't go too long without someone bringing up this word hypocrisy. Well, I don't really subscribe to organized religion because, you know, it's just full of hypocrites. Well, come on down. We just need one more. (laughs) And this is a little off topic, but I think it bears discussing. When I stand in this pulpit and preach, when a Sunday school teacher takes command of the lesson. I am not standing, nor the Sunday school teacher teaching, on my morals and my ability to live a righteous life. I am standing and proclaiming the Word of God just as the Sunday school teacher is. If it required me being perfect or any other pastor, the pulpit would be empty. I struggled with that before I got into ministry. Now, yes, there are requirements. There are moral requirements to fill a pulpit. That's scriptural. But perfection isn't one of them. The Christian church doesn't stand on the morality of its people. The Christian church stands on the righteousness of God. And I can proclaim and you can proclaim that truth. And in fact, we have been commissioned. We've all been given a commission to stand on the righteous truth of God. So it's okay for us to proclaim that truth. And if you're waiting around until you reach a certain milestone in your life of righteousness, 
Guess what? You'll never proclaim that truth. I stand up here with the privilege to preach God's word. I'm not preaching the gospel according to me. I'm preaching the gospel according to Christ. And when you tell your neighbor about Jesus Christ, you're not talking to them about your own morality. And in fact, if you present the gospel right, you're talking about that Christ is the only thing that gets you in front of God because your morality is insufficient. But hypocrisy is still something that we should have a thorough grasp of. What does it mean? What does hypocrisy mean in relationship to our faith? And the world acts like that they dreamed this word up. That they dreamed up this word of hypocrisy. Not so. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. For Jesus himself deals with hypocritical people that proclaim a faith. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 1. And we're going to take a brief summary through these verses. We're not going to look at the whole chapter. But I want to do a brief survey so you'll get a general idea. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. These are the words of Christ. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. There's that word. As the hypocrites do in the streets that you may have glory from men. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Go on down to verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now let's talk about what Christ just did in these verses. Charity, prayer, and fasting. Charity, prayer, and fasting. Let me ask you something. Is that a solo activity or is that a group activity? Solo, right? Solo. And he tells them that they are hypocrites. Who are they hypocrites to? Are they hypocrites to men Are they hypocrites to God? They're hypocrites to God. They're playing the part. They don't know God, but they're playing the part of knowing God. My wife and I are both movie buffs. We love movies. And it amazes me in the time that we now live in, and they make videos of this, how they can through modern makeup and costuming, transform someone's face to look identical to a famous historical person. And when you watch some of these, and it always intrigues me, when you watch someone, whether 
they're playing the part of Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln or another famous person. And they'll interview the actor. And the actor will talk about the prep that it takes to get their makeup done. They'll spend hours, literally hours, to have their face transformed. Now, is that Winston Churchill? Or is that Abraham Lincoln? Of course not. They're playing the part. They're pretending. That's really what acting is, isn't it? And there's people that pretend really well and make large sums of money because they can pretend. That's the hypocrisy that Paul is talking about. I can have a wrong view of love. My view of love can be based on a worldview. And if that view of love is exercised within the church, it is an unproductive love. It has to be based upon God. And in fact, I've already quoted once from John 15. I want to do that again in verse 9. John 15, verse 9, Christ says, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down one's life for your friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So my point on reading that verse is, is we could leave today and commit ourselves to be, I am going to be a loving person. And I'm going to strive to be a loving person. You're not going to achieve a godly love by effort. You're not going to achieve to be a godly person by effort. How you're going to accomplish this task of loving without hypocrisy, you're going to abide in Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, remember God is love. I read that earlier, 1 John. God is love. If I abide in Christ, if I focus on Christ, if I study in the words, the life of Christ, and I pray that I resemble the life of Christ through the power of the Spirit, I will love with an agape love. Effort won't get you there. It's only abiding in Christ. Now let me briefly say the importance of this. It is so very important that as we come together, as we interact with one another, that we love one another based upon a godly love, not a worldly love. Over 25 years of ministry, of being a Christian, 
since 1976, I can tell you that I can put my foot in my mouth more from a talent standpoint than anybody else. It's just a gift that I have. (laughs) And as I've said this before, if you know me long enough, and I think we can all say this, if you know me long enough, you're going to be aggravated at me. And I with you. And we live in this culture right now that can pervade the church. That if you have a different view or... If your feelings have been hurt, that you disassociate with that person. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? Aren't you glad that in spite of our sin, that we are accepted in the family of God because he loved us? We can't have an effective church if it is based upon a worldly love. We have to have a church based upon godly love. And in that godly love, we have a love based upon grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's the health of the church. I'm going to exercise my gifts, and it's going to be based on love. And sometimes that means that we have to take a back seat. If you've been in church work long enough, or if you've been in church long enough as a member, how many music departments have you seen utterly destroyed because somebody got to perform a solo and somebody else did it? I've been in churches like that. Is that a love based upon godly love? Where someone says, it's my right, think about this. It's my right above everything else, therefore if I don't get my way, I don't participate. Christ has to be number one. Love without hypocrisy. Don't play the part. Be in Christ. Be in Christ. And what happens when we make that choice, when we say, I have to turn my life over and abide in God, and I have to rest in His teachings and His truth. When we do that, we have effective ministry. We have effective relationships. When we do that, that's when the world doesn't look and say, oh, I don't want to be part of that group. They're a bunch of hypocrites. When we do that, the world looks and says, you know what? There's something different about those people over there. There's something different. I want to be a part of that. It's a drawing. Why is that? Because God draws men. And if we're not loving one another based upon godly love, The church is hamstrung on drawing people in our community. It's only when we have agape love with one another that we become effective in the church. And we glorify Him, not in our own righteousness, not in our own merit, not in our own logic, but only upon the cross of Jesus Christ.
Our love is based upon Christ. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. And I just pray, Lord, that this congregation may have a godly love. That our love might not be based upon reciprocity. But it might mirror the sacrificial love that we've received through Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening this morning and they've never accepted the gift of salvation, that they might repent of their sins, forsake self, and turn to Christ. I pray, Lord, that you might use this church as a witness to proclaim that sacrificial love to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.